welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today we have Amy and Marla and Craig and Chris. Good to have everyone. Uh, we'll be talking about the 22nd verse of the Tao Te Ching. If Sensei gets to make it, he'll come in and we'll talk about from a Zen perspective. But we'll just, we're going to have a meeting. And during the meeting, we're going to talk about this and whatever related to recovery that we need to. A couple of announcements. I want to announce dailyaaemails.com. This link takes you to Transitions Daily. If you guys are not aware of it, Transitions Daily puts out a daily email. It's free. With most of the readers that we use in recovery, you've got As Bill Sees It, Daily Reflections, 24 Hours, Thought for the Day, some very cheesy acronyms. When I started helping with transitions, they were a lot worse, and I've corrected some of them over the years. We're up to over 18,000 now, and we have a daily podcast where someone from around the world reads uh, just the words, no commentary, reads the email. We've got readers. uh, Craig did two months. I've done a month. We've got a new a lady that's doing this month, uh, Kate. My friend from Edinburgh. My friend from Edinburgh, yes. Kate. I have actually she's met doing Kate. A, she's doing a good bit of it. It's, but her and Kirstie still has some. So it's the two together. Some days it's one and others it's the other. We have folks from all over the world that are reading that. So you can find that. Your podcast aggregators just look for Transitions Daily and it'll pop up. You can go to dailyaaemails.com, and that takes you to the links to where you can see how to join and all those things. Still have our nightly, 9 p.m. Eastern. Every night of the year, have an AA meeting at that time. On Friday nights, we do a breakout that Amy hosts, and I fill in occasionally on other nights. I no longer have a night that I'm that I host, so it's, that's just worked out good. I'm, I'm very grateful for that meeting, grateful to have been involved in getting that started. It's one of those things I look back on and I'm just, I'm grateful I was able to to be used for that. Uh, Any other announcements we need to talk about guys before we jump into the 22nd verse? I listened to Amy's interview. Oh yes. And it was brilliant. I think, you know what, those guys are hilarious. Amy, I think you must have had such a good time with those guys. Yeah, it was really, really fun because what you guys don't get to hear is like the hour or so before and after what we actually recorded. And yeah, you know, it's it's like we do on this podcast. It's like, oh my gosh, I wish we were recording that before the meeting or I wish we were recording that afterwards. But yeah, it was it was such a good time. Such a good time. When he was asking you the questions, when he was asking you the stump the th- stump the thumper book, the stump stump the thumper questions, I was screaming at my radio, and I got them wrong as well. <laughs> well, and and I really, I told those guys, I was like, "How dare you trick me?" Because you didn't say I'm a literal person, like I'm black and white. Like 
I'm it either balances or it doesn't, right? It either ties back or it doesn't. And so when they didn't say it like verbatim from the book, I, it threw me off. And I'm like, I panicked a little bit. But then, of course, I don't know if you heard me, but then I was like, I was reciting it as he was reading it. And I was like, see, see. <laughs> but yeah, it was still a lot of fun. My ego had a, a lot of fun with that, too. It was a great, great. interview. Well done. Thank you. Great podcast. Um, if you want more of Don and Sam off of the AA Grapevine, you can go to Boiled Owl. Search for Boiled Owl. That was their podcast before uh, they committed to AA. They actually do that podcast for AA. So uh, it's a really good. It's a it's a good podcast. I've I've heard a lot of good folks on that. Um, Greg, our Facebook group seems to be doing fine, clicking along. Yeah, it's taken over. Yep, and transitions and the transitions. Just just you talking about the the the, right. the, the, the readings and the the podcast with the transitions page as well. I don't know where people are coming from, but that just seems to be growing every single day. Um, they're not incredibly active groups, but when people do post into it, there's there's so much wisdom coming out of it. So um, the Facebook page is there for transitions and um this podcast as well we um we're going through another phase with the AA page that we run as well where the arakan army is obviously looking for recruits so <laughs> i'm getting about 30 i'm getting about 30 requests a day from people from burma literally I, literally i just don't know where they're coming from well obviously burma but i just don't know how they keep finding that group <laughs> it's the initials for some something the arakan army yeah so anyway it's it's crazy 22nd verse. Now, oh, is there anything affecting anyone's sobriety that we need to talk about today? Anything particular? Because this is a recovery meeting above anything else. So if anyone has anything that they need to discuss, it doesn't have to be Dow related. We can talk about that too. So, Well, I want to share a quick win. Okay. Normally when I download my jobs first thing in the morning, I am a raging bull. And I just want to go into the shops and just tell everybody what I think of them. So yesterday, yesterday I had this job came up and I was like, this, I do not believe this. So I surrendered to what was. I went out and I know I went out and I'd done the job and I actually helped somebody and I felt really good coming out of the job. Because I got out my own way and did for somebody else. How long have we been talking about you doing that, Craig? How many years? It's good you finally, that's good. I'm proud of you. Four and a half years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? What is that quote, Amy? Sometimes quickly, sometimes really slowly. We can just call that and sometimes Craig like. Right. You got hey, this stuff works. It really does. <laughs> Do what, Marla? No, I just was giving Craig some kudos. I Get know. We, we pick on Craig entirely too much, and he doesn't enjoy the attention at all. We can tell, you know. You know, he Craig was that little kid that sat in the front of the room putting his hand up all the time. Pick me, pick me. I know, I know. Yeah. So, and the teacher's like, anything else? Anybody else? Anybody else <laughs> apart from Craig? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. 
All right, the 22nd verse. I want to read the Stephen Mitchell translation. Would anyone else uh, like to read one of the others? I have um, Guy Fu Feng and Jane English's version. Go ahead. Read that one first for us, Marlo, please. All right, verse 22. Yield and overcome. Bend and be straight. Empty and be full. Wear out and be new. Have little and gain. Have much and be confused. Therefore, the wise embrace the one and set an example to all. Not putting on a display, they shine forth. Not justifying themselves, they are distinguished. Not boasting, they receive recognition. Not bragging, they never falter. They do not quarrel, so no one quarrels with them. Therefore, the ancients say, yield and overcome. Is that an empty saying? Be really whole and all things will come to you. Thank you, Marla. Amy, you want to read the uh, Ron Hogan? Of course. Learn how to stand still if you want to go places. Get on your knees if you want to stand tall. If you want wisdom, empty your mind. If you want the world, renounce your riches. Push yourself until you're exhausted, and then you'll find your strength. You can go far if you don't have anything to carry. The more you acquire, the less you can really see. A master takes this to heart and sets an example for everybody else. She doesn't show off, so people take notice. She's not out to prove anything, so people take her at her word. She doesn't brag about herself, but people know what she's done. She hasn't got an agenda, but people know what she can do. She's not out to get anybody, so nobody can get in her way. Learn how to stand still if you want to go places. That's not as crazy as it sounds. Get in touch with Dow, and you'll see what I mean. Okay, I'll read to Stephen Mitchell. If you want to become whole, let yourself be partial. If you want to become straight, let yourself be crooked. If you want to become full, let yourself be empty. If you want to be reborn, let yourself die. If you want to be given everything, give everything up. The master, by residing in the Tao, sets an example for all beings. Because he doesn't display himself, people can see his light. Because he has nothing to prove, people can trust his words. Because he doesn't know who he is, people recognize themselves in him. Because he has no gold in mind, everything he does succeeds. When the ancient master said, if you want to be given everything, give everything up, they weren't using empty phrases. Only in being lived by the Tao can you be truly yourself. That's not Zen. I don't know what is. Hmm. Well, I think they all kind of go that way, too. In a, they kind of have a Zen. But it's sort of... Like what I was saying before we started recording this meeting about not, you know, not putting yourself on display, not showing your light, but, you know, yet being, you know, showing up. And then, but people take that the wrong way. Anyways. Yeah, you were talking about how sometimes people take uh, this passive kind of, oh, they're sensei. 
Right. Oh, sorry, guys. Here I am. Uh, no problem, sir. Thank you. Thank As you. one of my uh, salesman friends once said when we, we were late arriving in client, he said, well, we're late. How do you like this so far? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, editing. I've got a, a book coming out, as some of you may know, this year. And the editor sent all the little notes for us to answer. And it's, I got caught up in that and lost track of the time. Anyway, I was right here. <laughs> Perfectly okay. No problem, sir. What we did, we read the 22nd verse out of several of the translations. We can read, let's read the Jonathan Star to get you kind of caught up. And then we've got a question for you. Do you want me to, do you want me to read it? Please, sir. Okay. Surrender brings perfection. That's in quotes. So that must be an old Chinese saying or something. Surrender brings perfection. The crooked become straight. The empty become full. The worn become new. Have little and gain much. Have much and be confused. So the sage embraces the one and becomes a model for the world. Without showing himself, he shines forth. Without promoting himself, he is distinguished. Without claiming reward, he gains endless merit. Without seeking glory, his glory endures. The sage knows how to follow, so he comes to command. He does not compete, so no one under heaven can compete with him. The ancient saying, surrender brings perfection, is not just empty words. Truly, surrender brings perfection, and perfection brings the whole universe. I think we should have a caveat to say that he is also she here. I've taken to using S slash H-E for the pronoun. <laughs> How do you pronounce that? She. She. <laughs> <laughs> like Shaharazard, you know, she. She. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, this sounds very familiar and very Zen-like. It does. It does, Sensei. There's a, there's a lot there all about the idea of the weaker, my strength is in my weakness or my right tai chi or jujitsu. Those ideas, you know, surrender, go with the flow. That's what we find in recovery too. You know, is that we have to we we have to come with an open mind in a surrendered fashion and give up and let go of the idea that we can work this or do it ourselves. And I found that same principle works with everything else, too, not just recovery, but it's a model for the rest of life. Isn't it also surrendering to the withdrawal? Symptoms? Yes. Yes. Mm. And and the acceptance of what is is part of that, too, since I think it really um, because when I surrender to what is or in this moment, um, it really gives me the ability to possibly see the next right action to take. Yep. Gives you the space. Yes. Uh, we had a question for you. Marla, would you present? We were talking earlier. Uh, how about presenting that to Sensei for me? We were, I was talking about um, a couple people yesterday, two different people in two different situations were telling me how I show up in the world. And, you know, in the business world, I try to show up like business, like I'm busy. 
let's get the task done and I'm done. People take that like, like that I'm aloof and that I'm indifferent and that I'm not friendly. And all I'm trying to do in the world, I'm just trying to walk through the world, minding my own business, being mindful, right, right. not being judgmental, not engaging in word, in arguments or anything like that. I really don't live like that. It's very stress-free. But people read me like, you know, I'm aloof and hard to get and hard to get to know. And it's frustrating for me because I'm really trying to be very zen and comfortable. And people are making me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I understand. I've been in the business world myself. What kind of work do you do? I'm I'm an interior design assistant. I I just assistant. Okay. I love it. So I'm, I come from the design field, too, and you typically run into a lot of uh, personalities and egos and, you know, um, it's commonly understood that designers are like, have other values than s- simply the money they're making or, you know, so you, you fight hard for what you think is should is a better design. And so we can we can come off as temperamental and we have what we call design arguments, you know, where the whole team is in there fighting out the solution, yelling at each other and strongly feeling my idea is better than yours, of course. So we can come across that way. But let me let me send me an email and request this so I can remember to do it. I'll send you a uh, paper I wrote on how to listen. Basically, it's. um called the non-directive interview technique. And it's used in, I also did customers, consumer research for end user research for new products and various things. And uh, you learn a way of talking to people where you don't get into a snit with them. You don't get into an argument, my opinion, against yours. And yet you maintain a, a, a very vital dialogue. So I'll send that to you. It's kind of a practical guide for how to handle this situation. But okay. I think, uh, yeah, uh, just send me a note and I'll send that to you. Anybody wants that, just send send to me. It takes a little time to use it. It took me about three years to be trained in it, where it was natural way of speaking and establishing rapport and interviewing people and bringing them out so they feel at home, they feel comfortable, and they feel like you're interested in listening to them. So it and it's all it's almost mechanical, a technique developed by Carl Rogers in World War II, where he had to interview resistant draftees who didn't want to talk, they just wanted to go home. They you know, it was very interesting and it works in groups or in individual situations. So I wrote a three-page sort of white paper on the basics of it. And a lot of people, a lot of my Zen students and other people have used it and find it very helpful. Okay. You know, your your relatives may be Southern Baptists or <laughs> And your your family relationships can be touchy as well, as you know, not just professional. My family's cool with my uh, Zenness because it was with them where my all my uh, yeah. uh, chaos came from, you know. So yeah. they're very happy that I'm nice and calm these days. It's yeah. the outside world that uh, we come across. We come across as cold, aloof, and so forth in ways that we don't understand. They're they're professional people who actually have you do your spiel, and they videotape you, and then they show you, and then they critique the way you do it, or the way you stand, or the way. 
So mirroring another person, picking up their rhythms and their sort of uh, timing in a conversation, all of these kind of things help. As I said, they're a little mechanical in the beginning, but after a while you begin to see why they work and put people at ease around you. So I'll send you that. Thank you. But I think that the Zen attitude is 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 efficient, uh, quiet, or get it done, get get her done, you know. <laughs> but it's yeah. also uh, I heard I'm, I'm going to rattle on a little bit longer about this, buddy, if that's okay. Please, yes. There sir. was a a book uh, review show here in Atlanta where a guy named uh, James Taylor, believe it or not, he wasn't the singer, but uh, he would interview people at a library and he was a writer himself. And I happened to catch one of his shows where the book was called working with Neanderthals, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and this guy in brief, uh, you know, I didn't read the book, but I, I picked up what he was talking about in this inter- interview on television, interviewing the author. And he said, basically there are three kinds of strategies or personality types or whatever at the office One he called the politician, one he called the believer, and the third one he called something like the genius or something like that. So the politician smoozes the boss and kind of speaks down to the people under him. He, you know, it's all all about uh, kissing up and, you know, playing the political game and advancing that way. And the believer sees that as immoral and, you know, he just comes to work or she just comes to work and... He said, as long as I do my job, you know, I shouldn't have to play politics. I should be able to do do well and get promoted and so forth. Do my job. That's called a believer, mm-hmm. kind of a religious idea or like Job, you know, following all the rules. And then um, the third one, the genius is the guy who comes out of the computer room and solves the problem of the day, but has quite a lot to do with creating the problems as well. <laughs> and uh the politician looks at the others two as naive and immature, and they just don't know how things work and work things work, you know, people to people to people. And that's the way he's working it. And the others see him as immoral and, and so forth. So he said the problem is not that there are these three kinds of strategies and behavioral uh, modes, modus operandi, that we all have some of each of the three ourselves and we tend to be one or the other, we tend to lean one way or the other. So, but they don't understand each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't, they don't, uh, they can't get clarity with each other. And that's where all the conflict arises from. So in the, in the office setting, we have clients, you have bosses, you have partners, colleagues, and especially in group settings, uh, there's a lot of pressure on. And each person feels that, they want to come across very positively and move the project along, but they don't want to be criticized. They don't want to look like they don't know more than you know or or whatever. So all of that complex human dynamic comes into play. And uh, what I typically do is I look at all of my relationships as collaboration. And uh, I regard Buddy as a collaborator. And I think Buddy regards me as a collaborator. And we're collaborating on this project. And the, there was a book published about this, too, that said all of the great collaborations were always two people. So we get the mistaken idea that we can collaborate with a group. You can't collaborate with a group. 
So if you're in a sticky situation where it goes off the rails, the thing I do next day, even a board meeting or something like that, sometimes happens. We have conflict arise. I, I get hold of each person individually and say, you know, can we talk? And then uh, when we talk one on one, we get in, get on the same page. But in front of a group, that's very difficult to do. But this uh, this particular uh, technique I'm sending you, non-directive interview, has techniques to use in a situation like that. One is called reflection, and one is called deflection. Uh, when you're a moderator in a research setting, you cannot have an opinion or reveal an opinion about the subject because it biases what everybody says at, after that point. You have to be absolutely neutral. But sometimes people will try to pin you down and say, well, how do you feel about this thing? What, what, what do you think about this? You know, and you say, well, so reflection is like this. It's, um, well, that's a, that's a very important question, um, you know, and I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to answer that question. But tell me first, what makes you ask it? What makes you ask that question? That's called reflection. It bounces it back to them. And they have to come forward. You, meanwhile, you've dodged the bullet. And deflection is when you say, well, that's a very interesting point, and you, we need to talk about that. How do the rest of you feel about that? You deflect it to the group. So there, there, there are like technical means and methods for handling those situations, and you can learn them. You have to practice them over time. It, you can't absorb it all at once and sort of shift your gears that much. But I find it, help, I find it helpful. Craig has a question for you. Great. No, I just wanted to comment on what Sensei was just saying there about the reflection technique. I use that quite a bit with sponsees. So if they come to me with an issue, I kind of throw it back to them. You yeah. know, I say, well, yeah. what, what do you think? So it's almost as if, you know, when you say to them, so if somebody came to you with this problem, what would you yeah. tell them? So yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's just really a process for them to step back and yep. depersonalize themselves from it and just look at things objectively, look at the pros and cons. And just weigh up really the best course of action for us. That's a great. I hadn't heard of the other one, the deflection technique, though. But I like the reflection one. It, it deflects it to somebody else. There are other parts of that, but uh, it doesn't want to become obvious that you're doing this. And so you have to approach it kind of gradually mm -hmm. and get used to relating to people that way. But if you do, it turns out you can you can handle a very sticky situation, a very sticky relationship, uh, and get to a deeper level where. You know, it's not 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 so conflictual. Yeah, and med meditation obviously helps with that as well. Yeah, yeah, Marla, um, are you when you're in those situations? Are you afraid you're going to be misinterpreted? The reason I'm asking this is if you can bring the consciousness level up from fear into some service or love motivation. I find that for me, if I can do that, uh, it makes the whole the whole environment raises, you know, the. the oh, I agree with you on that. Latitude. So for me, if I were in that situation, before I went in, I would say, okay, how can I be of help to the to whoever today? How can I how can I show them love and kindness? How can I, you know, those questions before you know before you go in, kind of just plant a lot of loving kindness there. So that that's what you're walking into. That's yeah. that's the way I I try to do those things. No, I I agree with you. Most of the time, I get to that point. You know, where, where I, I sit in the car before I do anything. Go, just be loving and kind. 
just be nice. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. So, All right. so Take just, a rest. Um, you know, you know I, also people like I fo- always found the clientele who yep. do, who have their house designed are very entitled. They have a sense of entitlement that sure. was very, you know, I, I found rubbed me the wrong way a lot, but which is why but I got it. But it's their, it's their house, right? It's there, it's a and it it's such an emotional thing, you know, to buying furniture and doing an interior design. Right. It's very emotional. It's psychological. It's all those things. I get it. Right, and and they're going to have to live with it. Yeah, you're See, not. I find this as well. I find this when I'm when I'm doubt, doing my job. I, I'm, I'm in the floor coverings industry, and you, when we're we're talking with the sales guys, we say, "Look, we're not selling them a carpet. We're selling them the dreams. This is what they want when they come in the door." You know, what type of feel right. is it for when they come in? And it's not really about what we want. It's what we're there for the client. That's that's really why we're there ultimately. Uh, and yeah. I think that when we start taking our eyes off, you know, that sometimes people talk to me as if I'm maybe a little bit inferior to them. But you know what? They're the ones paying me the money. That's the ones where the wages are coming from. And, you know, at some point, the relationship's going to yeah. finish. Once, we, once we've delivered on what we've, what we've promised, I don't take anything personally. It's just it's as part of the job, and if I'm not yeah, happy, in, in retail design. Retail design. We had this expression: we could have such wonderful, beautiful stores if we didn't have all these people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have messing things, messing things up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just wonder. Um, I had a, a conversation with a sponsee earlier this week, and. Um, she was really convinced that these things that were going on in other people's lives or these or like maybe she heard one person talking to another person and she took it so personally. Um, she was convinced that um, their situations were definitely related to her. And, and um, it, I guess what I'm saying is she was looking for other people to validate who she is or was. And so I just wonder a couple of things. Is it, is it really that the other people are just afraid of not being good enough? And that's why they're not comfortable with, with people on a spiritual plane that they're not on, or is it, could it be like my perception of their behavior is that they, they think I'm inferior or aloof, whatever word you used you know, so there's a couple of different things I was just thinking of, different ways to kind of look at it. Number one, I don't really know what's going on in their life. What are they really afraid of? I know that, that well, I don't know, but I can almost bet that they don't spend, you know, several hours a week studying some spiritual <laughs> text and meditating. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but we're definitely on different spiritual planes. And again, you know, is it just my perception of their behavior because they're not behaving the way I think they should? So then I take offense. I don't know. You know, it's important though that we can always flip it around. Though we always have to look within for that. Uh, it's the if there's any correction to happen, it's with us, not them. So that's the thing. It's like, you know. what do I need to do now to show up differently? And you know, loving kindness is always a, a great way to do it. I guess and I, and I, I agree with what you said about get the job done. You know, we're not there to hold hands. You do have to do a lot of handholding with a client through a project. And uh, 
if you just did what they wanted you to do, you're not really providing a professional service. You and I had a I had an uh, a partner. He was a, a consultant to mainly the home center industry, and he was an older guy, been a long time, and uh, he'd gotten into import and stuff like that. So we'd go on these calls together, and the client would say something really stupid about one of the people. You know, they'd have a team there, and he would say, "Now be careful." Now be careful. He had a very deep voice. Now be careful. You know. And he said, because when you do that, here's how it affects your client. Here's how it affects the customer. So he would do a deflection that instead of you and me arguing about who's right and the best opinion, we would say, now let's turn to our customer and talk about how doing this will affect them. So um, in in the dialogue, if you can, can work the client <laughs> in the sense of interviewing them and getting at what they're trying to express, then we call my department uh, in business translations. Then you become the translator. You translate it into a design. You translate, you know, they can't tell you what they want exactly, but uh, our, our, our uh, sort of shibboleth or standard used to be, in research, they can't tell you what they want, but they recognize it when you show it to them. They will recognize it when you show it to them. So we do all the materials boards and we do the sketches and perspectives and stuff and like that to as presentation to uh, form a, a line of communication. And in design, we have the great good fortune to be able to do this in a way that's not just you and I discussing in words, but we're showing pictures, you know, like could be this, could be that, could be this, could be that. Here's a color palette. This seems to be what you're talking about. Here's another color palette, slightly different. So in some cases, you get to the point where they say, well, if you could put the best parts of this and this together, I think that would be ideal. You know, But that's a lot of work, and that's that's why they pay you. Mm-hmm. Mauro, there's a couple of things I was thinking. I used to go to a lot of homes and make offers on houses and talk about selling houses and all those things. I was in the real estate business. So what I learned was when I went in the house, I started looking at the pictures on the walls to try to come up with some commonality I had with the people so that they would get comfortable with me. I'm sure that's a sales technique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's it's a way that I can show kindness to them too because I'm communicating with them. You know, I'm I'm trying to, I'm finding some commonalities. And the other thing I would do is I would express a weakness of mine in the beginning. Uh, one that I used a lot was, uh, I want to tell you up front, if we work together, that there's something that I struggle with. And I, I just want to tell you that I'm working on it. Uh, it's not alcohol. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. It was uh, that I struggle getting my phone calls returned. So I'm working on that, but if uh, just have some patience with me. If it's the next day before I return your call, I know that's an issue. You know, blah blah blah. Okay, and <laughs> if I show a weakness to them, they open up to me every time. It was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Craig, Craig, I would wear a diaper if that was the case. He says I randomly. <laughs> and I think this this particular verse is kind of like that. It's about 
It is. Uh, without showing himself, without promoting himself, without claiming reward, and without seeking glory. It's exactly. not that you become a doormat for people, but right. you understand they have the same difficulty communicating that you do. And so it's like a long-term process of getting to common ground. But I think the empathic thing that Buddy's talking about, just trying to surrender yourself to the situation, uh, kind of observe it dispassionately, pay attention to what is happening. Uh, you certainly don't want to get into uh, us versus them relationship with your clientele or with your with your colleagues. So it's really better, I think, to keep quiet maybe uh, during a dialogue that you don't feel comfortable with. And, and then, again, take it up later with each individual to try to get on the same page. But if you do it in front of everybody, it can become a confrontational scene. Uh, they say that if there are three people in the room, one is the attacker, one is the defender, and one is the moderator. And then those roles shift between the three. So, uh, Marla, I would just uh, be open-minded and open-hearted when I went into those situations and just uh, respond it's, like we learn, you know? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's just, you know, when a good friend said to me, you know, you're really hard to penetrate. This, this was a good friend. She said, you're hard to get hard to get to know. You're hard to penetrate. And, uh, you know, my thing is, I, I don't I don't have any thing to talk about, really. My problems don't amount to a hell of beans. I'm like, you know, a blade of grass, an ant. Well, in the biz, in the business, you said you're an assistant, but what part do you do actually? I do do, do the do the shitty jobs. I do deposit checks. I pick up, uh, you know, pick up stuff and deliver stuff. And so, so you're the schlepper and the gopher. I'm the schlepper, and, and you don't you don't uh, you don't get involved in the design, creative design, decision making, and all that. Not any longer. I could. I just okay. couldn't do but, it anymore. But okay. no, I'm just, okay. I just wanted to. I'll update your library. Whatever. Well, you know, my my wife is like that too. She she does. She likes to be behind the scenes. She doesn't mm-hmm. want an up up upfront position, and she's very good at what she does. Exactly. And I think uh, you just got to go with your personality. You know, you don't have to change. Thank you. Surrender <laughs> to it. Yes. Did you see the set aside prayer that uh, Amy put in the uh, chat, Marla? No, yeah. I was listening to Sensei. So I yeah. That. yeah, that's all. I just keep thinking of that right now, um, Marla. Before you go work yeah. with any of these people, that set aside prayer can be. I've gotten to where I say it before I speak somewhere now um, because I just it's it's a great version of get me out of the way and help me to just see the truth about everything that's going on. So. Maybe stick that one in your pocket. I'm going to stick it into my pocket. Thank you. Okay. I've got Amy Sheridan's uh, email. I'm going to pick these up. If you put them on the chat, I'll pick them up and put them in an email. You had a comment, Chris? Yeah, this is a really good conversation for me. Um, One of the things I'm struggling with in AA is, is sharing. At least I feel like I'm made to feel like I should be sharing more. When I pick up, you know, the things, when I pick up people speaking in the meetings. Um, and so I still, uh, I still experience anxiety, um, before meetings as a result of that. Um, you know, I feel like I, oh, I made to feel like I should, 
owe it to the people in the meeting to be profound about uh, my my experience, <laughs> strength, and uh, and so forth. And uh, it is making me feel, um, you know, I, I've always I've always just been the kind that um, observes rather than. Um, and I really like a meeting where I can uh, where I can listen. But when I but I do in here, I have no trouble with sharing. I do I do share often. Uh, I'm trying to figure out why that is. <laughs> but anyway, that's well. That's, we have this thing called a threat level. You know, threat level. And uh, in most cases, in these kind of practices, as well as you know, in relationship marketing, et cetera, you try to create a very low threat level where anybody willing to open their mouth uh, is unlikely to be criticized. And it's difficult in some cases because you're brainstorming about a product idea or you're brainstorming about a project and everybody's getting excited and they want their idea to be liked and so forth. But uh, we need to create more forums where people can be listened to and uh, so I think that's part of what this is. By the way, I've got, I've got, uh, I don't have Marla. I have. Uh, you have Amy. I have Amy. Oh, I have Amy, and I have Percival. Percival, Amy. Yeah. And I've got Buddy. So anybody else, please, wants this paper, please put your name in the chat, and I'll send it to you. Your uh, that is your email address. Thank you. I'm so excited. In the chat, hey, Amy mentioned in the. Uh, in the chat, but Chris uh, immediately came to mind for both of us was fear that maybe uh, that's a fear of failing or a fear of being misinterpreted or something when you're in a bigger group. Mm -hmm. um, I would not, I try not to feel that I had to share the only time I try to be quiet. If, if there's something I was going to share and someone else says what I was going to say, there's no reason for me to share. So I try to wait for me, but if I had something on my heart that I thought I needed to share, uh, I would just share it because that's coming from your experience. Uh, and uh, maybe maybe fear related. I don't know. I would definitely talk to my sponsor about it, though, and see what he said about it. Also, people in meetings don't have high expectations of what other people are going to say. You know, we, we don't I don't expect profundity to come out of everybody's mouth at a meeting. Don't forget, we're we're all there because we're all there because we're not all there, right? So don't forget that. Yeah. So look at the group of people you're trying to impress, first of all. Um, but I think I, I really I'm glad that you said that because I think here's a full circle moment for me right now is that we we started talking about similarities and and, and identification with you know getting on the same level level with people, or at least that's what I heard. Um, and here, Chris, this is what it's, it's about too. You know, my profound sharing at a meeting usually is because I always share profoundly. That's what that sounded like. Oh my God. That's not <laughs> what I meant. Um, but like Buddy said, it's just my experience. And I, I love when someone, the best compliment that someone can give me is man, Amy, your share was so raw and it was so real. 
And, and those are the ones that I don't even remember what I said, because I got out of the way and allowed the universe to speak through me. And it's just my experience. And that's, I think, what makes a profound share, if you will, if you will just the sincerity of it, the genuine, genuinity. I don't know how to say that word. Um, you know, just be your true, authentic self without trying to impress other people. And it's exactly what we're what this this verse was about. You know, stop trying to be such a, a bold, prideful person. Just be humble and program of attraction, not promotion. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really a way we can live our life, Chris, is by living a life of attraction. You know, walking it, going into situations like Marlo was talking about. How can I be of help here? What do these people really need? You know, I don't know how many houses I bought over the years once I figured out what they really needed. A lot of times they needed a U-Haul to California. Now they need a U-Haul out of California, but at that time they <laughs> needed one to California. So I bought, I got them a U-Haul or they needed a credit card paid off or they needed this. They didn't really just need dollars. So if I met whatever that need was that they had, whatever that was, some of them needed to live in the house another two months, just different things, you know, and if I was, could slow down enough to hear what they really needed and keep my mouth shut, uh, then it could work out. So, yeah, and all of that is part of that becoming empty. Uh, say I wanted to ask you, too, before we're getting close to time already, um, this whole idea in this verse is that, you know, if I want to become full, I have to let myself be empty. If I want to be reborn, I have to let myself uh, die. Uh, if I want to be given everything, I need to give everything up. This idea that we have that whatever it is that uh, we feel is our need, we have to become empty in that regard. Um, and that was, that's very Zen-like, but uh, I, I wondered, I'd hoped you could comment and, and speak to that. Yeah. Um, we have perceived needs or felt, felt needs, they're sometimes called in research, which are not necessarily real. Uh, we don't really need that. Uh, and our can you hear me, everybody? Okay. And uh, I just my headphones just told me connected, disconnected. <laughs> um, and by the way, Marla, while I'm talking, if you can send me your email, I'll have them. I'll have them all. Um, so um, need uh, we need to. And I think you have to fill in the blank in order to do what? Like arguments or discussions come up around Zen, say, do we really need to do this chanting? Do we need to do this? Do we need to do this this way? And what is left out of that question is in order to do what? So um, in the, the Zen tradition, a monk or nun only has seven possessions. They have a pair of sandals, they have a hat, they have some robes, they have a set of bowls, a bag, and uh, I guess it's an empty bag, <laughs> unless they put their bowls in there, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's it, and that's it. And then everything else belongs to the monastery, everything else doesn't belong to them, so they're called homeless. Homeless. 
And mendicant monks, um, you know, go in the village and do takohatsu begging, uh, even though the the uh, temple or the uh, monastery may actually be wealthier than the village at that particular point in time. Uh, and that is to allow other people to support Buddhism. And so uh, I'm sending this, by the way, so you'll get it in your email in a couple minutes. So the question of need, and I, I don't know, buddy, if you're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the food, warmth, shelter, and all that, then there's the higher needs. And the theory is that you have to provide for the the basic needs before you can begin to pursue the higher needs. But in our culture, that means you've got to have your own house. You've got to have your own kitchen, your own bath, your own car, your own, you know, it's extremely, ex, we could just call it wretched excess. If you look at the consumption in this society, it's just overwhelming compared to the monk with his robe and bowls, you know, and I was thinking rice. more on a spiritual level, Sensei. I was thinking more spiritual. Yeah, the higher needs, the higher needs. So right. what do we need? And in uh, Buddhism, the answers are pretty simple. We need to wake up. We need to uh, discover our original self. We need to get past, get beyond this constructed self. We need to get out of our own way. So you can express that need in, in a lot of ways. Uh, how you implement in everyday life was based on the Eightfold Path, and now, of course, we're in a very highly complicated situation, so it doesn't seem so simple anymore. What we do in recovery is we go help someone else with their needs. Yes. Yep. So that's the action that we take to become empty. If we need to be happy, uh, we need to help others be happy. Yeah, and if uh, we want to stay sober, what we do is... Uh, we help someone else. That that could be our quote today, Amy, from uh, uh, working with others. Yep. What page is that? Here it is. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. And that probably is true of any addiction. Well, actually, since I found it to be true with anything yeah. that if uh, if I think if I have a perceived need, uh, I just ask that someone be placed in my path that I can help them with their need. It happens all the time for me. Uh, I had a, a, a lady in the real estate business that I didn't like. Actually, I don't think anyone liked her. She was uh, difficult <laughs> to get along with. And so uh, I would pray. For I think I know that lady. <laughs> <laughs> I would pray for her listings to sell when I needed something to sell yeah. just so that it, it just humbled me to, uh, to think of someone else other than me. You know, um, yep. it, any other questions for sensei guys? It's great meeting today. Good to see right. you guys. You're my favorite group. I know. <laughs> Thank you for emailing in advance. Um, yeah, check it out. If you have any questions, you know, get back to me. Just, you know, we're just trying to live in this fracacta world, you know, yeah. some semblance of happiness and contentment and gratification, you know, it's like, 
that everybody's handling us. Everybody's <laughs> bothering don't, me. Don't handle me. <laughs> <laughs> don't bother me. <laughs> we call nice it negative bodhi, neg- negative bodhisattva. Somebody's okay. teaching you the Dharma in a way you don't appreciate. <laughs> but it's, st- it's still the Dharma. They're showing they, us they don't they don't they don't know it. <laughs> Since they they're showing us uh uh a bad example of how not to do it. Is that yes, yes, yes. <laughs> or it's a good example of bad yeah. behavior. What not, not to do. do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we learn it in reverse. Oh, I see my painting on your wall. Great. Yes. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Yes. Thank buddy. Yes, I did. It's it absolutely is a perfect addition to my office here at home. So thank you. It looks great there. Mm-hmm. It looks great, Amy. Well, cool. thank you. I have guys. more available. If anybody's interested, I have more. Do you have a, a <laughs> website where you show your artwork? Huh? Do you have a website where you show your artwork? How do? No, this one I just handle personally. If you're interested, I'll send you some pictures. Um, and uh, I can I can either frame it for you, which costs more because I pay for the frame, or just send it to you in a tube and you can get it framed. Okay. Hey, since they do one for me, please, you I'll let, pick out the verse and just be inspired. And you're going to pick out the verse. Or you want me to? You do it. Okay, I've got one that's uh, about finished. I don't even want to know. I don't. I don't want to know. I just want you to surprise me with it. Okay, it's really a good one. Okay. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, when we come down in September for lunch, Amy's coming. Yep. Oh, cool. And so uh, I'll get it from you then if you have time between now and then to, to do sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. Just in a tube, I've got some frames and all. So, Okay. Anything else, guys, before we close? It's been a quick hour. If not, we will see you next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.